Pulp MX Network production. Pulp MX fans, we're 550 plus shows and counting thanks to your support of our sponsors. Get the Pulp MX app for iOS and Android today. Save money with discount code PULPMX at btosports.com and click the Amazon banner on PULPMX.com for all other online purchases. It's the BTOsports.com Steve Mathis Show, presented by Fox Racing on RacerXOnline.com. The original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm your host, Steve Mathis. BTOsports.com, proud sponsors of the uh, BTO Sports KTM team with Shorty and Gerke. All-new website, easy to order, free shipping over a certain amount, anything you need. They got OEM parts as well. Use the code PULPMX on checkout and save yourself money at BTOsports.com. That's right. You save money just for listening to this uh, little show. And, of course, Fox Racing, the official gear of uh, Ryan Dungey, Kenny Roxon, and many others. Foxhead.com 2015 gear should drop soon for the Nationals. Check them out. All their casual wear as well. Foxhead.com. We thank uh, Fox Racing for uh, coming on the show. With me on the line, former factory Suzuki rider, six-time national winner, uh, now one of the top managers in the sport, managed factory Honda for a number of years, Honda of Troy, and he's got a new gig. He's back. Eric Kehoe, what's up, Kehoe? Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me, Steve. Appreciate yeah, it. Thanks for doing it. Uh, does anybody ever call you the hog anymore? That was always... <laughs> I, you know, some people do that, uh, you know, just the inside, uh, inside right. crew. Right, yeah, exactly. Well, hey, uh, thanks for doing this. Of course, um, you were factory, manager of Factory Honda for a number of years before taking a step away uh, last season. And uh, now you're back with the Valley Yamaha crew managing that team and Christoph Porcel. I guess, first of all, let's talk a little bit about your departure. Did you miss it? Did you? Did you? I mean, it was. it's a grind. Let's, I've been doing this a long time, not nearly as long as you – the travel, the hours, the work, uh, um, it must have been nice to step away. But at the same time, a competitive guy like you, you probably did miss it a bit. Yeah, it, it actually was. It was, a, it was a difficult time for me. I, um, you know, I ran into some things, uh, you know, with all the traveling. I started when I was 16, you mm-hmm, know, started, yeah. you know, I raced professional when I was 16 and rode for Yamaha. And, uh, you know, I've been traveling ever since. And, you know, that was, uh, gosh, 1981, I think, was my first season uh, mm-hmm. racing for Team Yamaha. And, uh, you know, I've been traveling nonstop ever since, whether it was, you know, racing and then, and then starting in, uh, in, uh, in 1994 was kind of the end of, end of my, my racing career, as it was, and I, I had my back injury. And, uh, you know, I, I couldn't race anymore or train after that like, like I, I needed to. So I went into, moved into the business side and managing, and, and I've been traveling nonstop ever since then, you know, starting yeah. with Honda Troy and Yamaha Troy days. So it's been, been nonstop, and, um, you know, come, it was uh, towards the end of the 2012 season, um, I was over actually in, uh, in Europe at the time. Uh, we were at the uh, Motocross of Nations with mm-hmm. uh, Barsha, and, uh, you know, there was, I had heard some things that, uh, Things, some things were changing at Honda, and uh, um, right around that same time, my, my mother found out that her uh, her cancer was back. She'd been fighting cancer, 
and um, she she had uh, she had started you know started as breast cancer, and mm-hmm. you know so I'd been uh, been looking at uh, some you know some time there that I could spend with the family and help out with that, and I, I it was a tough decision at the end of the year, and I I talked to the Honda guys for for several months mm-hmm. um, before making my decision and um, decided that I, I needed to take some time off and, and focus on some family stuff, and uh, it, was, uh, it was time well needed. And, uh, but, you know, now I'm back. I've recharged yeah. the batteries a little bit and um, took on a new project, and it's, uh, I'm having fun with it. Yeah, it's, it's nice to get off the merry-go-round once in a while and, and, and have a somewhat of a normal life, huh? That, that's exactly the, the analogy that I've used in the past, where you just don't realize, you know, you're, you're, you're on this merry-go-round and, and things are going, I mean, whether it's, you know, if you're if you're training and racing, or if you're you know working with a team or managing or whatever, it's mm-hmm. you know all the people in the sport, or you know the mechanics. Gosh, those guys just mm-hmm. have um, have a nonstop schedule. You know that firsthand. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's it's one of those things where you just you're just kind of stuck, and you, every once in a while you glance off and you're looking, you go, "Hey, look at my buddy." Oh wait, I'll get back to that. You, know? <laughs> yeah. you, you don't even have time to really uh, to really you know uh, look at that, but. Um, but it was good to step off every once in a while and really reflect on um, on all the things that are going on, and um, you know you make some uh, make some good choices for for your life. You yeah. know. So. Well, I know I'd heard your, your your name for a number of openings, and and with your track record first as a racer and then as a manager, I'm sure you got contacted by quite a bit of teams and and put some feelers out there about what your next move wanted to be. Why uh, Yamaha Valley Yamaha uh, Chad Lanza the owner. Uh, why this team? Why now? Uh, and all that. Can you talk a little bit about why this? You decided this was the right opportunity. Yeah, there was um, probably several several factors that came into play, and uh, it was an interesting story. I, I actually was up. Uh, uh, my mother passed away um, in in February of, of this year, and uh, I, I was actually um, up at, at her house um, after you know the. Uh, Mm-hmm. services and everything, and I, I was kind of helping, you know, the family to uh, to clean up her house and kind of work on things and get things situated, and, and actually, I was, I was I was at her house, and my phone doesn't get very good service up there, and I, I had this phone call from uh, from Keith McCarty, mm-hmm. and um, I, I was going, man, what the heck's he doing calling? <laughs> so, I, I, you know, I've, been, I've, I've known Keith and, and the Yamaha guys, the whole Yamaha crew for, for many years, of, of course, going back to the Yamaha Troy days, we had a, yeah. had a great great time with that well, not, uh, not to know. mention when you were the next hot thing at the Adamson Sorolo of the early 80s yeah <laughs> <laughs> and I, was, I tell you what the um the Yamaha Troy days was really fun brought, brought back a lot of good memories and mm-hmm. I um I, I have a lot of good you know good memories from that time frame and so when when Keith had, had called me and said hey what, what are you doing you know and I, at the time I, I was kind of I was just thinking about it I was kind of thinking okay what's what's the next chapter here mm-hmm. in um in Eric Kehoe's life <laughs> And what, what, what am I going to do? So um, when he brought up this uh, this project they were doing, uh, he he had mentioned that uh, they had an opportunity to work with Christoph Purcell, and I uh, I actually had you know had considered working with him in the past. I know there was an opportunity at one time. He um, we'd almost worked together uh, you know several years ago, and mm-hmm. um, never worked out. And then uh, this this time it kind of came up to uh, I thought, wow, this is an interesting project. Uh, all the Omaha guys. Are you know they're like uh, they're like old family you know <laughs> I've known all those guys for a long time and had a great relationship with them so I thought um, when I when I spoke with uh, Chad Lanza um, who's the team owner um, I, I knew that he's had a lot of experience um, in, in helping different uh, 
different numerous riders in the past, um, and uh, you know he's had a history of, of kind of helping guys out uh, in certain periods. So um, you know the whole thing kind of sounded really interesting when it when it came together. I thought, ah, oh, this is a good it's a good project to kind of get my uh, get my feet back in the door and see mm-hmm. see what's happening. Because you know I was out of it for gosh a year and a half and um, yeah. just kind of focused on other stuff. And so I thought, well, I need to get back out there and see what's happening and see what. Uh, what opportunities are there? Um, yeah, and, and I don't know when exactly this is going to air, but we're four races down. Christoph has put it on the podium, I think, uh, in the second moto, three races in a row. How's everything mm-hmm. going? He was off for a year, too. Both of you guys making comebacks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I, I, honestly, I think right now he is, he is doing tremendous, um, especially for, you know, taking, you know, he's been off a couple seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so, you know, for him to step back into that, uh, that race pace and, and be competitive in the top five, um, especially in this class. I mean, you know how stacked this 250 class is this year. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, it's, it's there's a lot of talented young riders uh, coming up, and um, a lot of you know talented riders that have been there for, for a couple seasons. So mm-hmm. um, for him to step right back in there, and you know he's still um, coming to grips with it's a new bike mm-hmm. for him. Um, you know he's getting used to it. Uh, He's, uh, you know, kind of gelling with the team. You know, it's kind of all, you know, a whole new program coming together um, all at the same time for him. And so I think that uh, his, uh, you know, his conditioning is getting better. His, um, you know, he's he's actually feeling feeling pretty good. And I think that his his speed we've seen. You know, he's had uh, he's qualified. He's had the bomb. What three three out of four? Three of, yeah. three of the races. Yeah, three of the four. And um, I think he was second there at Mount Morris um, for qualifying, but. His speed is there. He's just got to get back into that race shape, you know. And it's it's something that um, it's going to come quickly. He's a he's a you know a really great competitor, and um, he's you know he's he's after it. And he's he's going for it, and he's he's going to be uh, he'll get it here soon. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. It's it's been it's been good. Um, and also too, it's good for Yamaha. The, the, the new bike seems like it's great. The 450 had some teething problems, but I think it's come a ways. The new 250, obviously with Jeremy Martin and Cooper Webb and Kristoff. You know, the, the Yamaha hadn't had a small bike national win since Yamaha Troy, although you had been moved on by that point. But Mike Brown at Yamaha Troy, last got a win in 04. Here we are, 2014. They win again. They won the first two races. Um, uh, good job by them. It's good to see them. I don't want to say they're back, but you know what I mean? Like, we yeah. saw green and red for a long time. So it's it's good for all the OEMs to have success. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that Yamaha's been working really hard with their program um, behind the scenes and, and especially that, you know, that bike. And so, you know, the, the star um, Yamaha team is doing a, a great job. Um, you know, the JGR guys, you know, look at Josh Grant. He's had some tremendous rides on, on that 450. Um, you know, it's been, uh, you know, he, he needs to put a couple of those together and, uh, and, and get some, get some overalls. But, uh, if, you know, the, the Yamaha programs are, are doing really well mm-hmm. um, at the moment. I know that the, uh, the equipment is, is really good. So it's uh, yeah, it's good to see that. You rode for Suzuki for uh, four years as a factory rider, and you also was a top privateer after those days. You worked with Carmichael at Honda. You worked with the Yamaha Troy Kids. You you worked at a big corporation like Honda or a, a private team like Valley slash uh, Honda Troy back in the day. So and as and like I said, as a former top factory rider. So what's your management like philosophy, Kehoe? What do you 
What do you believe in when dealing with riders and sponsors and teams? What are some of the a couple of things that you think that you stand by and has helped you over the years get all this success? If you don't, if you can share, and if you don't mind thinking about something, yeah. you know, like. Well, I guess if I had to say one thing that comes to mind, I've seen it all. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen I've seen everything from you know, uh, you know, from from deep down, just you know, working really hard to. Mm-hmm people trying to take shortcuts and try to take the easy way. Yep. And and I would have to say probably my, my number one philosophy is there's no there's no shortcut for hard work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hard work and determination um, pays off in the end. Uh, I, I'd say all of the time. It always prevails. And so, you know, I think that it, it's been unique by situation. Uh, hey, sir, mm-hmm. in the beginning... And, and probably having a lot of the, the, the same experiences that guys do now. Um, and, you know, going through that and then turning into um, learning the management side and the business side of it and then understanding why um, sponsors yeah. are so important, why, you know, the, um, the, the spectators and the crowds are so important. Right. Um, I mean, there's so many different aspects to, um, you know, basically, you know, these teams are marketing brands, and I, I tell you, it's when you learn the business side of it, you understand why autograph sessions are so important and why interviews right. are so important, and you know, gaining the um, the attention for these for these brands and for these companies, and it's it's really important. So I, I think that you know, having a, a clean image and working hard, mm-hmm. um, you know, I always have. Um, have kind of pursued that and 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 tried to instill those uh, those hard work ethics and you know with the guys that I that I have worked with in the past and I tell you there's some um, I've seen some some really interesting things going on and, <laughs> and and seen some guys that really that really put out some hard effort and hard work and I think those are the guys that uh, that always seem to prevail. You you managed Ricky Carmichael. You managed. Uh... You know Ernie and and these great racers, and then you deserve a medal probably Keyhill because you managed Swink, Craig, and Larry Ward. Like <laughs> I could not imagine the phone call, the that, midweek phone calls you would get. <laughs> that was an interesting time for sure. I mean, talk about some of the most talented guys right. ever. You know, in our sport, right. you know that's uh, it's that was amazing that time. And and you know Mike Craig, you know you mentioned him. Gosh, that guy at the time. Um, you know, he could show up at any race at any time and be faster than McGrath. Right. Uh, you know, and and be the first one to jump the gnarliest jumps on the track and everything. But, um, yeah. you know, sometimes he would get sidetracked and he couldn't put together for a full, uh, you know, 20 laps for the main event or, or whatever. And, yeah. and um, that was uh, that was an interesting time in working with those, uh, those talented guys. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And, okay, so uh, have you made the flight? Are you on the plane? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, and, and you know, Mike Craig, you have to make sure that um, all those details are in order, and that's only half of it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> the rest is making sure that he follows through, and uh, no, no, I tell you, it was it was a great time. I, I just ran into Mike Craig the other day down at uh, at Paris Raceway. He was oh. out there training, uh, working with some kids. It was oh, cool. uh, it was good good to see him out there. Um, how's your relationship with the Honda guys? Obviously, Shane, dude, Dan Bentley. Uh, longtime friends of yours. Uh, how's that? You see them at the track? You're not good to see them. I, I do. You know what? I I never miss opportunity to high five those guys and uh, and check with it, check in with them. And I tell you, it's a really good group of guys over there. They have a solid group of guys at at yeah. Honda, and uh, yeah, I've remained friends with uh, 
uh, I, I'd say the majority of those guys for uh, for for a long time, and mm-hmm. it's um, yeah, it, it's, like you said, when you're when you're in the sport as long as I have, you you've gained a lot of uh, you know family and friends, yeah. you know, that uh, around the paddock, and um, they, there's a really good group of guys there. Oh, thanks, Eric. I never knew I was one of your friends. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Uh, like that time Barsha was testing the 450, and I put a photo up of it. <laughs> yeah, yep, I, <laughs> um, I remember that. Yeah. Hey, uh, and also, too, I imagine, like, with a smaller team, obviously Keith McCarty, been at Yamaha forever, Bob Oliver is still there, um, uh, but you're at Honda forever. You want to make, you know, this move, and it takes this guy and this guy and that guy to sign off on it and sponsors and corporate red tape. Now, I guess – even though McCarty's and Yamaha are involved, this is this has to be a little weird for you. Where you you guys can make decisions on the fly. You can you can cut right through all that red tape and kind of just do what you guys got to do to uh, to help the rider out, huh? Yeah, that's true. And the way I, I kind of view it is, you know, you're always part of a team, and you know sometimes the team might be big, um, as it is in in um, you know some of the corporate uh, structures. You know, the, the team includes. All of the decision decision making processes, and you know, sometimes in the in the corporate level, there's there's a lot there, and and in the private team level, sometimes it's a quick phone call. You know, like I always say in the past, when when I was working with Yamaha Troy, you know, I, I'd make a quick phone call to to mm-hmm. Phil Alderton and uh, yeah. hey Phil, I think we need to do this. Okay, why? You know, we talked for five minutes, and then okay, go for it. You know, and then we'd be done. And you know, and and then I guess to the opposition of that, and some of the corporate ways you know it's like okay you want to do what okay well we got to set up a meeting yeah. <laughs> and make sure you prepare a spreadsheet so that you can hand that out to everybody and 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 then from that meeting we'll go on to another meeting and, you know, and yeah. somewhere down the road we'll have a decision <laughs> so it's it's just you know it's yeah. different yeah. and i think that um uh you know we have a actually a really good core team right now and and yamaha um like as you mentioned keith mccarty Jimmy Perry, Bob Oliver, um, Dan, the, all those guys are, are part of that, that process, yeah. um, and, as well as Chad Lanza. And, you know, we, um, when we need to do things or we need to make things happen, um, we, you know, we, we discuss it as a team and then yeah. uh, make a decision uh, based on that. Hey, let's, uh, let's get on the time machine a little bit and go back to, to your career as a racer. Uh, and, of course, and we'll talk a little bit moving into management, but... Um, from what I know, uh, you were a very big 80 star back in the day before there was no internet or Twitter and, uh, just monthly magazines. Were you on the factory Yamaha team in 81, um, and 82, or were you sort of a, 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 a B rider or not B rider, but you know what I mean? Like a B factory yeah. guy. How did that, how did you start off as right with the factory Yamaha guys? Yeah, well, that, that's an interesting story. Um, I, I was, I, in 1979 and 1980, I, um, I won, you know, you know the, the big, the big mini cycle races at that time was right. the World Mini Grand Prix and Ponca City. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I pretty much, you know, they had that Yamaha Race of Champions, and then they had um, that, that was at the World, Mi- World Mini Grand Prix, and then mm-hmm. um, Ponca City. And so I'd, I'd won pretty much um, all of those championships um, in, in 79 and 80, um, and then I decided I went straight from racing 80s to, in 1981, I signed on with Factory Omaha and, and rode, you know, 125 yeah. Nationals and 250 Supercross. Right. So it was, a, it was quite a change. And at the time, you know, I had the opportunity. I, I probably, um, with experience, 
you know, gains a little knowledge, I guess. <laughs> I, I, now that I look back at that time, you know, going straight from the 80 class, and I weighed about 130 you know, pounds, 125 pounds, to racing 125 nationals and 250 supercross the next year, Right, it might have been a big step for me. <laughs> well, and, and remember, no one twenty five supercross for people who are wondering why you didn't do that. No such thing. So correct, exactly, uh, yeah. And so I, I made a huge step. And when I was offered the opportunity, I was like, "Are you kidding? Nothing's going to stand in my way. I'm going for it." You yeah, know. And yeah. now that I look back at it, I probably, would, <laughs> with my experience, I would suggest for somebody to maybe take a year of, uh, of, of you know, kind of riding some, some lower races and just kind of getting some experience and, and trying some things, maybe arena cross or whatever. Yeah. But um, at the time, you know, it was my path, and I, I went for it. And unfortunately, um, I, I had a, a bad injury um, in 1981. I, I, I broke my ankle pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I actually uh, I stepped back in 1982 so in 1981, I was, I was factory on. In 1982, they had a um, they had a really big support program at the time, and they kind of moved me back down onto the support program after I had mm-hmm. had that injury um, in 1982. So I'd kind of um, you know take a step back, and and actually, it's an interesting point. Um, we talked about Bob Oliver; he was my mechanic. Yeah. Um, for me in 1981. <laughs> and and uh, uh, McCarty's there with Hannah, and Osterman's there with with Mike Bell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was it was a fun time, and I tell you, I talk about um, you know personalities and a lot of interesting things going on. I learned a lot from those guys, and uh, it was uh, it was good times. For sure. So I don't know if this was bef- this might have been after your time, but the Ponca City uh, car crash with Bruce Bunch and and Rick Hammond, all that after you or, or right around your time? Yeah, that, that was after me. I want to say that was right around. I want to say eighty one, eighty. Right, right in that time when after I had just moved out of that class, oh, okay. and, and I, right. I don't remember exactly, but I know it was it was just after that because I know Larry Brooks was. Right. He had told me the story where he actually was supposed to be in that car that crashed and, yeah. and didn't get in or something. Yeah, yeah. So your uh, uh, RJ is there, Glover, Hannah. These are some of the greatest riders of the sport at the time. This is oh, a... <laughs> it was it was a fun time. I tell you, I now that I look back, I, I learned a lot of stuff from from you know that competitiveness and dealing with those guys, and it was. Yeah, it was a, a big learning experience for me. It's crazy. I do a bunch of these podcasts with a lot of the guys that used to race, and like, okay, so you're you're a rookie. You're one of the the best amateur riders in the country. You get a factory Yamaha ride. You break your ankle, but you look at your results and like, as I don't know, were you 16? Right, you would have been 16. I, I was 16. Right. Exactly. So yep. you look at your results as a 16 year old, and like they're pretty good. They're decent. Uh, then in '82, you get eighth overall in the 125 uh, nationals. And now you're 17, and yep. and that's not enough. Yamaha is just like, yeah, see you later. Like, yep. I, it it blows me away. Buddy Antonis, same story. He gets like he's 16, 17. He gets top 10 in, in nationals and and Supercross as a 17 year old. And Suzuki just goes, nah, you're you're garbage. See you later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. I I think that you know how it is. You everybody's always looking for that instant success. You know. Yeah, and, but it's crazy. It, it's interesting how that stuff works out sometimes you know yeah so how do you get on the privateer hondas or is that a honda support ride in 83 yeah so basically in in 83 they had a um it was a honda support ride i had some um some bikes and parts you know some Mm -hmm. stuff that was given to me um as a matter of fact at that time um, i think greg arnett was involved oh yeah yeah, the the honda support um at that time and um it, it was great that those guys were able to uh to do something for me at that time and uh i i, I of course being such a competitor and, and having a taste of the success as I did, 
um, in my mini career. You know, I was, of course, not done. You know, even though I yeah. had lost my um, support there from Yamaha, I, I, had, I was not done racing. <laughs> I wanted to get back out there. And so with, yeah. uh, with Honda support, um, I actually went, um, went on and, and rode some privateer in 83 and 84. And then I had some, um, I think I had some pretty good performances in 84 that, um, that kind of caught the attention of, of yeah. um, Suzuki. And that was when, um, in 1985, they had offered me something to, uh, you know, to race for factory Suzuki. Let's, uh, let's face it, too. I imagine the 83, 84 Hondas were a step up from those early 80s Yamahas, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I tell you what, at the time, I, you know what? I was just this kid that was wanting to ride a dirt bike, you know? Um, <laughs> I jumped from one to the other, and I said, yeah, this is good. <laughs> and yeah. I, I didn't, um, you know, yeah. I tell you, they were, they were all good at that time. All I knew was if they had a motor in it and wheels, I was ready, good to go. Were you in a box van traveling with your mechanic, or were you flying back then, or did you? It was it was it full privateer effort? You know, I, I actually it was it was. Now that I look back at it, it helped shape me mm-hmm. for the for the business side of kind of what what was to come, you know, later on down the road because it made me. I you know I went and bought a box van. I hired a mechanic, right? And I sent him on the road, and I had to coordinate some parts and stuff that he needed to get, you know, handled. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, so there, there was a lot of different. I, I basically had my own team, only just this one little one, and I was the only racer. Yeah. So I'm that's just, kind of the way I did it in '83 and '84. I'm just blown away, like the sport ate up and chewed up these kids and guys like Buddy or yourself made it, had good careers. But there's so many stories of good kids who did well. And, it, it, hey, kid, figure out your training. Go get a box fan. Figure out how to drive across the country. Like, no wonder why so many guys struggled. It was it was uh, really fend by, fend by yourself, and you're literally a kid. You're a child. Yeah, no, it was, it was interesting. And I tell you, um, a little tidbit I, I forgot about in 1984, there was a guy named Dan Bowley. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if very many guys remembered him, but um, he actually – Helped support me in '84, and um, Ed Arnett. Yeah, that you know, um, he used to race at that time, and yeah, you know, he, he was he was a test rider, right? He was a test rider for some magazines and stuff. Yeah, after, exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah, he was he was on that deal at that same time, and um, the guy was you know, um, Dan Bowie was very similar to um, you know, basically a you know Phil Alderton or even uh, mm-hmm. Chad Lanza. You know, the guy had a vision, loved racing, was competitive, and wanted to help some guys. You know, like myself, that that needed some extra support at the time to get to the nationals. So did, that did, that was interesting. Did you have any like? Uh, did you test? Did you hang out with Bailey, Hannah, Osho, and these guys? Were you that? Po- I, I, yeah. I would. I actually had a friend at the time that um, that uh, lived out near the Honda track in Simi Valley, and I would see those guys once in a while when I'd be. Um, racing away from the track because I'd see them coming in and I was like doing laps on the hunt track and I would be like on my way out really oh. quickly. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Right. You're like, I gotta go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As they were showing up. But yeah, no, it was, uh, I-, I would see those guys out the test track and stuff. And, um, that was an interesting time for sure. So you weren't allowed to ride a Honda land or you were, and what you just had to leave. Yes. No, D- Dave Arnold would, um, he-, he was always a real good guy, even though I wasn't at the time yeah. signed on by those guys. He would just say, oh, yeah, come on out there and ride and stuff. He was he was a really good guy. always helped me out and uh, let me come out there and right. ride. All right. Yeah. How did you get along with those guys? Were they were you still, I mean, were you in awe of them, or were they cool, Hannah and those dudes? I mean, was it? I tell you what, I, I spent some time with Hannah um, j- 
just after that, you know, I didn't really get to know him very well until I was at Suzuki because right. he came to Suzuki um, at right. one point, and uh, I spent some time with him. That's where I really got to know him um, at the time. Um, and, and Johnny O'Mara, we had spent some time um, training together and riding together and stuff, but really that probably wasn't until around the Suzuki time frame also. I'm guessing you always wore O'Neill gear. Man, you wore O'Neill gear for 100 years. And I'm guessing because you're up from around that area, up in northern L.A., right? Yeah, I, I did. And I'm actually, um, most of the companies that I, that I dealt with, you know, I'm, I'm a really loyal guy. Mm-hmm. And I think that just kind of that came out with stuff like that. You know, we had our, our ups and downs and, and, you know, disagreements. and stuff, But, like, I always, I raced for those guys for a long time. They had great equipment. Um, I was good friends with Jim O'Neill. And he was always a good, uh, you know, he always gave me good support. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. So Suzuki comes in 85, full factory deal. Uh, I, I don't know what you, they probably pay you about 20 grand, but it's all expenses, and, and here you are, right? You're big time. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was probably a little more than that, but, yeah, it was. Uh, I was just pumped to have, uh, to get, get, get a paycheck and ride my dirt bike. <laughs> the bad thing is, Kehoe, is those bikes weren't very good. Well, at the t- yeah, at the, again, at the time, I probably didn't didn't know that until maybe I rode some bikes a little bit later. Hold on, hold on though. When Lachine in '85 is blowing by you down the straightaways on his Honda, are well, you? You know, I, I tell you, at the time, all I all I, I went home, I would go home that week and go, dang it, that was me. I just didn't hold it on long enough down that straightaway. You know, so that's just the way my mentality. I never really looked at it like that. Right. I was just like, man, my bikes were good. I got to learn how to hold it on longer. <laughs> uh, Eighty-five, though, you won high point. Uh, I did first yeah, national. I, yeah. I, I won high point. I was really fast that day, and I think there was a little asterisk. But I think Lachine got a flat tire on one of the motos, but that's okay. I don't yeah. care. I, I took. I'll take the win. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. Eighty-six, you won Hangtown uh, on the Suzuki. So um, eighty-eight, you win the first two nationals in eighty-eight. In eighty-eight, the bikes are starting to get a little better. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh, and always, too, as a kid uh, reading the magazines, you and George Holland, the 125 Suzuki factory guys, how'd you get along with George? How was that rivalry, or was there was there one? Well, I tell you what, it was one of those, I would, the way I'd explain our relationship was, it started off one, one night when I was like, I used to race Indian Dunes. Do you remember Indian Dunes? I wasn't old enough to be there. I was in Canada, oh. but I do, yeah, I've heard lots of stories, right. Okay, well, that, that that was like near my house as growing up, so I used to race there every Friday night and Sunday and, you know, every weekend pretty much, and I used to, you know, I, I dominated. You know, there wasn't a lot of really good guys there, but, I mean, there was, you know, quite a few, mm-hmm. but every once in a while some, you know, some real fast kids would show up, and when I was there racing my, my YZ80 and I'm kind of dominating every week, and all of a sudden this one week a guy shows up on this fire-breathing XR75, <laughs> and... And it was a Friday night race, and I had I, t- I got the whole shot, and there was somebody behind me with this loud motorcycle, and all I remember was this, I couldn't shake this guy. He was all over my butt, all the way to the checkered flag. And I remember coming off the track, and I was like, who the heck? And I, and I slowed down just enough to let him go by me, and I could read the back of his shirt, and it said Holland. Oh, jeez. The first yeah, time yeah. I'd <laughs> ever seen George, and first thing I ever knew, and I was like, geez, man, that kid was fast. And and that rivalry kind of went on for for many years after that, you know, on the, you know into the 125 nationals. And yeah, I, you know, I'd say that we were fierce competitors on the track, but off the track, you know, we we hung out, we were teammates, and yeah. we we did stuff together. But I think it was always kind of really guarded because mm-hmm. 
dang it, man, he was one of the toughest competitors I had, and I, you know, I didn't want to let him know what uh, what I was doing. Yeah, really, right? So from seventy nine to eighty nine, when George retires, yeah, you must have raced George Holland a thousand times. <laughs> yeah, that's true, man. And I tell you what, there was a lot of bar banging, and uh, uh-huh. it was, you know, he was a, a, a tremendous competitor too. And I was, you know, at, at that time, it was just like it was all all or nothing. So. It was a fun time. Uh, in 88, George got off the Suzuki's, got on a Honda, Kehoe, and he won the title. I don't think this is a coincidence. I do not think that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do, I do look at, in 1988 was probably probably my year to win. I think yeah. at the time, I don't remember if I was leading the series or I was in contention for the series. Well, you won the um, first two races of the year, so you were smoking. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so in 88... Probably 89, I'm trying to remember here, 88 was when I broke my back the first time I got hurt at the Troy, I think it was at the Troy, Ohio National, and um, I, I had uh, I, I was in contention for the championship that year, and when I had that injury, that really stopped all my momentum, oh, and did it? in yeah. the following year in 89, um, I think that Suzuki you know, gave me another chance to come back from that injury and, mm-hmm. and get back at it, and I... Uh, I actually kind of lost some of my steam. I think that injury kind of affected me, you know, maybe mentally a little bit. And yeah. I, I didn't quite have the results as I did, uh, you know, 87 and 88 leading up to that point. And I think it kind of took some of my momentum out. And uh, that, uh, you know, 89 was my final year there at Suzuki. Do you remember the crash? What would you do? I do. Um, it was, as as with several um, times back at the Troy uh, Nationals, <laughs> You know, the track was kind of laid out in a flat area, um, but um, had a lot of big jumps. And it was really muddy in practice. And uh, as the day started to, to move on, you know, it started to dry up. The, the line started to, uh, to harden and dry. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and we started kind of flying farther and farther off these jumps. And I, I remember there was one jump that I was like kind of skying off of, and I – just flew a little too far this one lap off to the edge of the track, and I landed. I hit a fence post on oh. the side of the track, and it just cartwheeled me. It was a pretty ugly crash. Yeah, really, right? Um, Hannah comes there in 86. How's, how's that? He's sort of the man, and then he retires after that, kind of becomes the manager. Uh, he, he works on the bikes. By 88, 89, he's getting the bikes better. How was? What yeah. do you remember about Bob Hannah's time at Suzuki? Well, what I remember probably most about him being there was um, he helped me personally too a lot you know about training and some different things um that uh, just kind of like you know he was a mentor i was able to ask him questions about things and how he did things and it was that was really a, a really a fun time um i i think the probably the biggest thing i remember was about bike setup mm-hmm. and making improvements um you know bob was a very passionate outspoken guy and he, <laughs> he just you know he said it like it was and didn't care who he was saying it to, whether it was the, <laughs> the president of Suzuki right. or uh, or just the mechanic. You know, he, he just said it like it was. And, and he made, he helped force a lot of change with the bikes at that time and, and made made some, um, some mm-hmm. improvements. Um, I, I don't know if you remember at that time, it was right around, gosh, I want to say it was 88, 89, somewhere in there where they, you know, it was that transition from the conventional yeah. Forks over to the upside down fork. Yeah, eighty nine was the first year at Suzuki, right? Yeah, for yeah. Down, okay, right. so you know he he was instrumental in really forcing some change and making that stuff better mm-hmm. because um, originally it wasn't. I mean, for Supercross, 
the way our sport was developing at the time, you know, the the rigidity of the of the upside down stuff was was there. It was good, but mm-hmm. for outdoor stuff, gosh, they weren't flexible at all, and it, you just really, um, you know, it needed a lot of work. And I think that Bob really forced some change and, and yeah. helped develop that stuff. And Osho comes over too. Huge signing by Suzuki. Uh, Osho, oh, yeah. Osho yeah, comes I over. That, time. Yeah. He, that was a that was a great move for him. I know. He was battling a, a knee injury, I think, at the time. Yep. And uh, he uh, he had some still had some great races, and you know that was a, a fun time too. I, I spent a lot of time with Johnny, and learned a lot about um, you know cycling and running and different training that uh, mm-hmm. I would do with him out at his uh, his house in Simi Valley. He had a he had a track. He had a great setup. There were uh, he had a track about a mile from his house that we were able to train at. Looking at your results, Eric, you can't help but see uh, lots of podiums and outdoors, and, and like I said, six wins. Supercross never came as easy to you. Uh, of course, you had to ride 250s the whole time. You were stuck in, in that class, in the big class. Your, your learning curve was steep, but what is it about outdoor motocross that made you a little bit better at that than and then supercross? But, I mean, make no mistake about it. You got a lot of top fives in 250 supercross, but, yeah. you know. Well, you know, it's an interesting question. It's, it's a good question. I um. I've actually thought a lot about that, and I've, at the time, um, I wish I would have changed a couple things in my training that probably would have helped me, mm-hmm. um, and I, I didn't have, you know, nowadays, you know, the, the Supercross test tracks that the teams have or that even riders have at their house, yeah. um, you know, they've built these tracks. Uh, you know, I had tracks here in the hills that I would go riding, and, and it was just all natural terrain, which was right. like the outdoor nationals, and that's pretty much what I focused my riding on. And um, Suzuki had a track, I believe it was at, um, it was out at uh, Avalanto, yeah, yeah. and they had a test track, but we wouldn't go there quite as often, and I, I probably should have spent more time, you know, testing and, and training on, on Supercross tracks, and uh, it would have came a little easier to me. I had fun with it, and it was it was good, but it just, it, it didn't come as natural to me. I probably should have worked a little more and spent more time on uh, on the Supercross tracks. Yeah, yeah, really, right? It's one of those things. And, and also, too, like Lachine told me, different builders, too. You guys would show up. The track would be built all different with transitions. And, you know, it wasn't like nowadays at all. It was a and suspension. People didn't quite have a grasp on what you guys needed to do. It was a different time for Supercross. It, oh, it, it, it definitely was. And I, I tell you, it's funny how that how things, how you adapt and evolve and different things change. I went off, like, even after – when my when my racing career stopped um, in you know ninety four ninety five um, as, as I was you know kind of working into the management side I continued to ride for for a long time yeah. and I still would watch guys and what they were doing and go wow I'd come over a race and go I'm gonna go ride in this week I'm gonna try that you know like <laughs> yeah. one of the most unnatural things for me to learn was was scrubbing you yeah, know yeah. Go, going up to the face of a steep jump. And then turning the bars, <laughs> you know. Right. And so, you know, ultimately, what you're doing is you're kind of sliding off the off the face of the jump, and um, you know, so that that was a big you know learning experience for me. But you know, I, I loved and I enjoyed that kind of type of stuff, and I think I, I caught onto a lot of different things. I I think several years after I was done racing, I started fundamentally I was a better rider than yeah. I was when I was racing nationals. Right. I know. I used to see you moto down a lot. At the local tracks, you know, like you, you, yeah. you, like when you were the manager, you you rode a lot. I don't know if you're still doing that, but man, yeah, you yeah, you, it, you love to ride a dirt it, bike. <laughs> yeah, I know it was. It's interesting. I still love to try to get uh, get on the bike when I can. I had a um a, a pretty bad injury about uh, 
about eight months ago, and I broke my uh, my hip, my my yeah. leg, and my hip, and I uh, had to get a hip replacement. So yeah. it's um, I haven't been on the bike for for quite a while, but uh, I'm sure I'll be back on it soon. Uh, at the end of '89, is it mutual? Suzuki's like, hey, you got to go. You've had a you know a nice four year run here, and you're like, I got to go ride a Honda. Is it kind of a mutual thing? Yeah, it was actually so '85 to '89. Yeah, it was like it was five years, and yeah. I think in '89. They um they pretty much said hey let's you know we'll give you another shot here yeah we know you had this serious injury you know in '88 and um they uh you know kind of '89 was my was my year to say okay here you know, I'll show you guys if, I'm, if I come back from this or not right and um my results weren't up to what uh, what I wanted or they wanted yeah so but the, um at the end of the year in '89 they uh, I yeah. think it was Tosh at the time had uh, had mentioned to me hey we we it was nice that they at least told me that we do not have any intentions intentions to rehire you. Yeah. And so uh, in 1990, I decided to. Uh, you know, I wasn't done racing yet, so mm-hmm. I wanted to go out and uh, I got some. Um, I bought some Hondas at the time. Oh really? Huh? And, you couldn't couldn't get Honda. Yep. Couldn't get help. Just had to go buy some. <laughs> yep, I had to go and buy some bikes. I remember at the time, Mitch. Um, you know, Mitch Payton actually helped me out quite a bit with the technical side and helped me get the bikes set up and getting mm-hmm. an engine that. Uh, that was competitive, um, so yeah. It was, yeah. I guess it was uh, 1990 and 1991. He he really helped me out with that. Funny that, like again, back then you get dropped from a factory and that's it, man. No one's picking you up. Like there's no support teams. Nobody cares. You're done. And and that ha- yeah. and that's happened time and time again back then. Yeah, yeah, it is interesting. And I think that you know at the time there was only so many rides for the factory slots. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, there were, you know, there's new kids coming up and there's constantly, you know, there was, there was a lot of guys, a lot of competitors out there. So it's, uh, definitely competitive for those, uh, for those spots. Yeah. 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 Guys like Bradshaw are coming up. Holland's retired now. Uh, George yeah. wins the 88 title. And were you happy for him or were you a little, were you a little pissed off? Oh yeah. No, I, I was, I was happy for him. I'm sure that, you know, he worked hard at it and I know he was having, um, he was having shoulder problems yeah. you know, for a while and stuff. And, uh, I tell you, he actually, you know, he was he was a hard competitor, but I was happy for him. You know, it was good that uh, people, to see him, uh, you know, come through with that championship. People forget in '89 against Kurdowski and Bradshaw and yourself and uh, Cooper, he was leading the series when his shoulder popped out at some race, and that was it. He never raced again. Like he was, yeah, it, he, was, it, was, it was interesting. Yeah. And that that year, you know, I became friends with um, Mike Kudrowski. Mm-hmm. You know, he grew he grew up in the same area where I was living. And uh, we used to go train a lot together in that in that um, 1989 season, and um, it, it was interesting. You know, we still talk to, today about that. And at times when I would go out during the week, and we would be riding, you know, Vasquez Canyon or one of the local tracks where we ride, and um, you know, I, I'd put it to him pretty good. I'd, I'd have some, uh, oh, some wow. faster lap times and yeah. him during our motos, and and then on the weekend, you know, he was. Uh, he was, you know, running right there in the in the lead for the the series, and you know, I was getting some, you know, some top ten finishes, but nothing, uh, yeah. you know, nothing as competitive as, as what I wanted. So it was a, it was an interesting season to see him. Yeah, he won. Where he was at. We right. were training together, yeah. and then uh, and then you know things were different for me at that time. And it was it was um, that that's where I kind of learned a lot about the psychological side of mm-hmm. this, and you know how how the mental game, how important the mental game is when when it comes to, you know. Being in the hunt for a championship and going after wins, it's, uh, no. it's amazing how important that is. No, Kehoe, it was important to have a Honda. That's what it was important, to yeah. have a Honda. 
Yeah, that's true. That's true. It seemed like that's what he kept pointing at. Um, anyways, uh, the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Let's take a quick commercial break here. Check out uh, this deal from this commercial from Racetech. Pulp MX uh, 2014 saves you money at Racetech. And, of course, BTOsports.com and Fox Racing. Listen to this commercial. We'll be right back with Eric Kehoe. BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Hey, I want to talk about privateers and what they choose for suspension. Yeah, that's right. Some of the top privateers, most of the top privateers out there, choose Racetech. Long been supporting the world's fastest privateer since 1984. Michael Lieb, Vince Freeze, Chris Blows, Cody Gilmore, and many other guys uh, choose uh, Racetech suspension, and they've been around a long time, and their, their work stands for itself. Don't forget, people. At least uh, change your oil in your new bike. Use Racetech to do it. Some of that stock oil isn't that good. Uh, Racetech's the world's largest aftermarket motorcycle suspension modification company. 30 years they've been supplying racers, riders, and tuners with the industry's best suspension products. Paul Thee, the owner of Racetech, one of the smartest guys out there, and uh, the creators of the do-it-yourself gold valve kit. It's a revalve in a box. Racetech.com for a full listing of suspension parts, tools, and information. Race tech, go there. Make your bike handle better. Do it. Racetech.com. Thanks for listening. All right, we're back here, Eric Kehoe, on the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. So, at some point, Kehoe, you're putting in the, the, the years and the effort being a privateer Honda guy and getting some good results, by the way. You got a, a couple of podiums as a full privateer. When do you meet Phil Allerton? How does that happen? Well, I tell you, it was, uh, gosh, that would have been like 90, probably sometime in 92. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as nine, 90 and 91, I decided to, uh, to ride Hondas. And, uh, again, I had mentioned to you before, I'd had experience with, uh, you know, buying a box in. Yeah. Kind of putting together my own my own little team, my own effort, and uh, I was uh, you know still having fun racing. Again, I just you know I was just a true competitor and wanted to race my dirt bike. And um, when I met Phil, probably it was the 1992 season, and um, he was helping a friend of mine, Todd DeHoop. Yeah, I don't know if you remember yeah. Todd. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, I believe it was the end of '92. He was doing some stuff with Todd and. Uh, he decided to put something together for the 1993 season, and um, we we rode Supercross and and some nationals. And uh, I probably one of the first times that I met Phil, and this was you know you know how people say there's there's instrumental times yeah. and and events that happen in in, in people's careers and. Um, when I met Phil Alderson, it was the Gainesville National was the opener every year. Yeah. I remember down in, yeah. in Florida. And so in 1993, Phil, the first time I met him was at the 93 uh, National at Gainesville. And he came out and hung out, and he wanted to see this, see these kids racing around that were that he was supporting, right? Right, right. So I ended up having probably one of my last, you know, good races in the Nationals there um, at Gainesville when I had a pretty epic battle with McGrath and that's your and um and that's the and sky I, shot I ended up winning the yeah. second moto and you know you know getting on the podium overall for the day and and so you know Phil was hooked after that he was just <laughs> like oh he couldn't believe that we could actually win and be competitive in the national so it was um you know that kind of 
And so it, it, that started our relationship off really on a, on a good note, and, and um, we had some, some good years to come after that. And uh, don't forget the 93 Gainesville, the uh, Paul Buckley photo at the finish line. You just, oh, yeah. just sending it, just wide open. Yeah, yeah, that was sheer determination. I, I, I swept that corner leading up to that, that finish line jump, and um, I, when I, I, I came out on the inside and I heard, I heard McGrath just wide open, I heard his bike just shifting gears, and I thought, oh, man, <laughs> I, I, if, he, if he gets me by a wheel here, I'm just never going to, you know, yeah. Never going to forgive myself. So I, I just never shut off. I hit that jump wide open. I think I jumped, I don't even know, 30, 40 feet past where I was all day. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and did you downside? There's some rollers on that straightaway. So did you at least downside a sand whoop when you landed? I, I think I might have, like, cased right on a sand whoop. I think I blew out my front, a couple spokes when I landed. Oh, but yeah, <laughs> but no. it was all good. I had some of the gel, and I didn't even feel it. Right, right. Um, and so also, so you're racing. Flipper's helping you. Honda of Troy dealership in Ohio. Uh, and, and then, again, like you said you alluded to earlier, out in the desert or in the canyon somewhere, you crash, and do you break your hip? Do you break your pelvis? What What do you do? Yeah, I, I dislocated my hip. Okay. Uh, and um, and you again, up, yeah. you, you know, it was one of those uh, one of those injuries that really um, I don't know if, if you've had much experience with an injury like that, but it's it's really painful injury i've, I've, I've and, heard um, yeah i've heard mcgrath it, did the same thing a bunch of people have said it's the it's the worst pain ever yeah yeah and i, I was actually really lucky I, I was with again kudrowski at that time um we were up riding when that happened and you know he was you know he was like you know took his helmet off he's putting his helmet under my leg to hold me up and and you know meanwhile he's on his phone calling you know 911 to try to get a helicopter out there to yeah to scoop me up so it was uh it was good to have you know a good friend like him uh, with me at the time, and uh, was, yeah, that that was um, that was a tough time. Was it a big crash? Yeah, it was one of those real high speed you know uh-huh. yard sales when you know <laughs> you, you you don't even see it coming, and then the next thing you know, you're just laying there assessing all your you know parts, all did, your injuries. <laughs> did you did you race again, or was that it? I think that was it, wasn't it? Yeah, no, I actually had um, okay. I had raced for for a little while in '93, um, and then. Uh, and then '94, you know, we were continuing the Honda Troy deal, and um, so in '94, when I was uh, oh, at the, the uh, okay, the hip. So the hip was in '93. Yes. Oh, I thought okay, I thought it was '94. So you did the hip in '93. So then, yeah, yep. you raced the nationals that year. Oh, okay, so you did make a nice comeback from that. Yep, yep, yep. And then uh, I rode the nationals in '94, and uh, again with support from Honda Troy, mm-hmm. and uh, I ended up having a a, a bad crash at. Uh, the Mount Morris National. Oh, um, yeah. You know, ironically enough, the, 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 the race, the track that I won my first national at, I was just going to say, you know, right. ended ended my career too. When I had a had a bad crash and um, and fractured uh, three vertebrae in my back. Oh wow! Okay, so and then that was it for you. Yep, yep. And then uh, at that point, you know, Phil had uh, you know the team was you know gaining a lot of momentum and mm-hmm. they were really looking for for someone to fill that position to help manage the team and, and continue its growth. And uh, I actually, you know, timing is everything sometimes, right? And yeah, I was yeah. really involved with Phil, and he gave me the opportunity to uh, to do that and to really learn that, that side of it. 95 to 02. 01? When did you leave? Let's see. It would have been 01. 01, yeah. So uh, the manager of Honda Troy and then Yamaha of Troy, of course, yeah. at some point, uh, you guys get Yamaha support, and, and I mean Casey Johnson, 
Ernie, um, Nathan, you guys are just killing it at the time. Um, fantastic rides. Uh, it's funny, though, too. I, I look back at your Honda, Troy. There was, uh, you know, Mike Rudowski came back. You hired him, uh, your old uh-huh. training buddy, to come back. Yeah. Um, and you had the 97 Hondas, which, which the first year of the aluminum frame, you guys struggled a bit with those things, huh? Yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting time. They they had uh, a lot of quirks about that bike, you know, and, and yep. setup and and how you could uh, to try to get them work, to work. You know, it was a lot of work. And um, but I tell you, you know, they were, they were good bikes in certain areas, but then other times, you know, they were a little bit uh, of a handful. And also, too, wasn't there? And it's funny because you went on to work with Honda, but wasn't there some battles with Honda where you guys ran a black fender for a little while? Yeah, you know, Honda has has their way, and they don't like to deviate from that. Mm-hmm. And so Phil Alderton, he was kind of a, um, a you know, he liked to do things his own way. And, and yeah, yeah. you know, and sometimes he was, you know, his personality was like, if you tell him you want that wall black, he'd want to paint it white just because <laughs> he uh, just wanted to scare a reaction or he wanted to, he just wanted to be different, you know. So yeah, yeah. there were some things, you know, with, um, with the bike and with, uh, you know things that that went on that that they didn't particularly like. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think one of the things was too at the time. Um, I don't remember if you heard the controversy about when uh, you know when we were Honda of Troy. Suddenly, this big name, you know, Jeremy McGrath comes out, yeah. and he's got the Suzuki ride, and he, all of a sudden he's got Suzuki of Troy, right, right, and he's got the sponsor, you know, yeah, and they're like, what the heck, and so. You know they they you know didn't really care for that. Um, I remember there was some backlash, and um, you know Phil was just he didn't really think anything of it. You know he was just looking at it as uh, advertising for his dealership. Yeah. And, uh, but oh. uh, the Honda guys didn't view it that way. Give me your best Phil Arlton story. I mean you gotta have a, you have to have thousands, but what's your best one about just yep. you know craziness <laughs> as a team owner Man. or whatever like. I, I've got so many, but probably one of the most one of the most shocking ones was when uh, you know we were out. You know, when he after he moved out to uh, <laughs> after he moved out to uh, California, mm-hmm. and he was there at the shop, and um, he used to love. We had this we had this great uh, guy um, Garrett that was uh, he was kind of a shop helper, uh-huh. and um, and Phil one day Phil loved Elvis, yeah, and so yeah, he, yes, he, he had he loved to like. He had these Elvis impressions that he would do, and one day he like he we we're getting ready to go lunch, and he just looks over at Garrett and goes, "Hey, I, I don't even know how to do his impression, but he goes, hey, lot boy, pull the car around. Who's going to lunch? And I need the car. And he, you know, he did this thing, and it was like I'm looking at him going, really? I think he needed to be a movie star. Now, that's what he wanted to be, and it was uh, it was interesting. He just he had a yeah. He had a different way about about going about things. Of course, uh, of course, Phil passed away a few years ago. He lost his battle, a uh, little substance abuse problems here and there. But the guy supported the sport and loved the sport for a long time, didn't he? Yeah, the way I could explain Phil was uh, he had a huge heart. You know, he was um, probably attention to detail sometimes was a little lacking. Yeah, um, well, but it was only because you know he would uh, the guy would give you literally his shirt off his back if he needed it and uh you know and he was there you know he just had a huge heart and uh, wanted to help people and uh he got uh, he just got a little sidetracked with with things and i guess you being you you probably tried to help him over the years right but uh, again it's one of those things where what can you do with people who just they can't do it for themselves 
Right, I, I really did. You know, um, that was a difficult time being at, um, you know, at, at the Omaha Troy and, and going to certain nationals. And, you know, we were in the mechanics area and, and just, and I'd have to escort him back to the truck and say, hey, you know, you need to see the, you know, hang out here for a while until you feel a little better and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. it was, it was, it was an interesting time. And, and I, um, that was, you know, part of my, my decision for, for, um, for moving on at the time because I, I was offered a position at, at Honda and, um, you know, Phil at the time was a little bit of a runaway train. You yeah. know, he, he kind of was on his path and, and nothing was going to stand in his way. And I, I wasn't sure when that was going to, was going to, you know, right. come crashing down. It was, it was a difficult time. Um, more, more talented Craig Swink or Larry Ward. Who, hmm. who did Man, the, who, I mean, that's a tough one, but I'd have to say all out, Craig, yeah, man, because I, I saw Mike Craig do some stuff, you know, better than McGrath when McGrath was Supercross champion, right? You know, right, right. and but but then again, you know, those other, you know, both Larry and and Swink had those tremendous talent. Uh, I know McGrath told me one time that he watched Swink sometimes in practice. He yeah, told, he told yeah, me that. exactly. Yeah. It was it was incredible what what he would do sometimes, and that uh, trying to get it all pulled together at the right time at yeah. the main event. For 20 laps was, was the tough part. I heard this story about Larry Ward at Suzuki days, and I also heard it at the Honda Troy days. Uh, was it true that sometimes he would just run production suspension? Just bolt well, it on? Well, it, it was interesting. And, you know, um, you know, if Larry ever hears this, he'll probably call me up and, uh, you know. <laughs> nah, nah, he's good. He doesn't listen <laughs> but, to this stuff. Yeah, but he, uh, you know, he not only had to run the, the stock suspension, but it, it couldn't even have been serviced. You know, right. they couldn't change the oil. It had to be fresh stuff right out of the box <laughs> and, and put on there. And if you changed the oil, it, it wasn't it wasn't any good. It had to be stock uh, stuff that was fresh. This, I mean, I worked with Larry at Triple X in 02, so I, and I know Larry. I talk to him every now and then. He yeah. he kept you he kept you busy as a mechanic <laughs> or a team. Yeah, yeah. It was, and, and now that I, I look back and reflect on those times. It was just a learning experience for me. I was gaining some knowledge and how to handle some situations. <laughs> well, that's just it. I mean, think of all the things that you've done and experience. You got, you got midnight phone calls from Swink and Craig who didn't make flights, and you got them killing it in practice. You got Larry, who's a bike setup a weirdo guy. You got yourself and all the things that you've witnessed. And then, of course, you saw a guy like Carmichael who, you know, if he didn't have a seat and a rear tire, he could still probably get top five. You know, yeah. so like – the experience is just across the board for you. Um, yeah. Yamaha, the Yamaha four-stroke days. Uh, did you know how? Did you know how good the thing was going to be when you guys started it? Did you? Did you think you were at a disadvantage initially, and you would try to work it out, or did you realize like, hey, these things are good? <laughs> yeah, I honestly, I, I knew at the time. Wow, you know, this is this is the start of something huge. Oh, because, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because we could see how how good the bike was and. You know, there was a lot of controversy at the time because I know the other, you know, the other brands hadn't hadn't started yet, or I know that they're in the works, but they weren't ready to come out with them yet. Um, but it was uh, it was definitely an interesting time. You know, we're working out the bugs. You know, obviously it had some things to, to get figured out, but uh, mm-hmm. was really a good uh, a good base for a bike. Going to Honda now, uh, and at the end of '02, you got Carmichael and uh, Ernie and Nathan, and you guys won a lot of races with RC. Must have been nice. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, you know, it's interesting when you say that about, um, you know, Ricky probably was one of the, uh, it reminded me a lot of, of, of Hannah, 
mm-hmm. in that he was really passionate about about what he wanted when and bike set up and he and he wouldn't hold back at all in telling you that that stuff wasn't working or it wasn't yeah. any good but when he you know at the at the end of the day when you know when you got on the on the track and the gate dropped that guy would give you a hundred percent you yeah. know he would he would not hold back one bit because you know maybe the forks weren't quite right or the shock wasn't quite right you know He'd come in and, you know, he'd just pull off the race and, and win by, you know, by 20 seconds. And he'd come in and he'd just be on fire and the bike was this and the bike was that. But you just, you know what, he could he, he earned that respect to yeah. be able to, like, okay, well, then we need to get back to work. And, you know, he did. He kept everybody working working around him, you know, and he would yeah. really get the team to rally. Um, those I was at Yamaha then, and obviously Chad was a big competitor and, and uh, you know, a little bit Timmy and Villeman as well. But we would watch video, and we're like, look at this guy through the whoops. Look at this thing. It doesn't work. What's he doing? Did you ever, like, you yourself and Showa guys and the suspension guys, obviously, ever like, Ricky, we got to talk. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna kill yourself. I mean, how I – mean, he loved it. He loved it in the turns. But, I mean, was there times where you were just like, come on, let us try something? Yes. I mean, think, think about it. At the time, you know, we had – you know, the show guys had tons of experience. You know, we had Cliff White right. um, at, on our team at the time. Um, so, you know, we would all, you know, talk about it and discuss it. And, and it was a difficult time because, we, you know, Ricky knew, you know, how he wanted his bike set up, mm-hmm. and that was it. And, and for us to try to get him to change that a little bit was really difficult. So we would just, you know, we'd be persistent, and, you know, sometimes change comes, you know, small yeah. steps at a time. And, um, he was, he was going through a time too, where he was actually having to, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up about Reed. You know, he was, you know, Ricky had to change his riding style a little bit to mm-hmm. keep competitive and to make improvements. And I think, you know, if you, if you're keeping an open mind mm-hmm. and watching your competitors and, you know, always learning and, and, and adapting and, and keeping up with, with change, you know, you're, you're going to stay competitive. And you know that's exactly what he did. You know his his riding style evolved, and his the bike setup yeah. evolved, and he um you know he turned things around. Yeah, absolutely. Look at look at Stewart. He had to start learning how to scrub and you know and and attack the yeah. way James did. Absolutely, you're totally right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tragedy a little bit. Uh, were you at the track the day that Ernie got hurt? Uh, you know what? I was not at yeah. the track that day. Yeah, those guys were out at a training session. Um, and uh, yeah, that was it. Was a tragedy. Here's yeah. a kid that you literally yourself at Yamaha Troy took right out of you know uh, Costa Rica and yeah. watched him become a two-time Supercross champion and then one of the very best riders in the sport. Uh, you had a lot of time you spent with Ernie, and uh, yeah, that had to have been a real bummer. Yeah, it was. And and again, you know, Ernie was one of those those riders that was really fluid, um, you know, really smooth. And, you know, did not take a lot of chances. Um, yeah, you know, that's why it just you know. Sometimes when stuff happens like that, it's just you just never know. You know, it just it was yeah. that you know, really unique situation when the way he landed and the way he landed on his head, it just you know, yeah. it was, it was well, unfortunate. Kind of like Bailey, right? He's the last guy anybody thought would get hurt. Right? Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah many great years at Honda and many uh, many uh, nice successes. I was always jealous because I don't know if you did this, Kehoe, but everybody at Honda got a bonus, a, a, mon- a money bonus when you yeah. guys won a race. And I don't know if that was your job or not, but – we always got yes. just, we just got pizza. So uh, good job yeah. on that. <laughs> yes, we did work that. We worked that out, and we actually, um, I, you know, of course, uh, it was. I, I worked with our management at the time to get that approved. Yeah. And you know, we always believed in you know the philosophy. Always 
was that you know it's a team effort and everybody shared in the success when uh, mm-hmm. when that came and when it was time to work hard everybody shared in that too but it's um yeah, yeah. that was that was a good time I wish I would have had that at Yamaha your guys probably bought houses on Ricky's bonuses <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah he was uh, it was a good time for uh, you know I mean he had a lot of successes a lot of you know winning streaks and uh, you know it, when you're winning you know it keeps things fun right for sure. All right, we'll wrap this up, uh, Eric, with a couple of rapid-fire questions. Uh, give me your best race ever, your single best race. Is there a day that in Europe, in America, whenever, a day that you remember just uh, being untouchable? Probably, you know what, it, w- it would have to be um, the 1987 125 USGP at Steel City. I forgot about that. I didn't even bring that up. You won that, it, yeah. Yeah, you know what, it was one of those days where, I, I you know, I don't know. Like all week, we were, we were testing. We were waiting for parts to be flown in, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I ended up playing golf next door at the, at the hotel uh, country club for like pretty much all week. Yeah. And it was just one of those weeks where I just everything came together, man. It was it, was, it felt, yeah. felt easy at the time. Yeah, we we'll beat beat the world's best in '87. That would have been Bale would have been there, um, Strybos, Vandenberg, right? Yeah, yeah, it was it was a fun time. And that, I think it was really hot and humid mm-hmm. that day, and I had been you know been training in that in that climate and stuff. And those guys, I think, flew over from Europe and probably probably came from some cold, dry oh, cold climate or something. It, it worked to my advantage. I know that. But, yeah, uh, but yes, but your, I'd say that was a, probably a highlight in my career. That may work to your advantage, but your Suzuki was a drawback. So I call it a wash, Eric. You were just yeah. on fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and favorite mechanic? Do you have one? Favorite mechanic? Yeah. Gosh, you know what? No, I, you know, a lot of guys, uh, a lot of guys that I worked with, and uh, I, I would say that, uh, you know, Bob Oliver really stands out because he yeah. probably he was my first mm-hmm. professional mechanic, you know, and mm-hmm. and I've and I've dealt with him over the years quite a bit, and, and I've learned a lot of stuff from him. He probably doesn't even realize that. <laughs> yeah, really. I know he taught me a, a shit ton when I was at Yamaha. Man, the guy was, guy was great. The way he would, yeah, he taught me a lot as a mechanic. Yeah. So. Uh, Fantastic, Eric. Thank you for doing this. I wish we had more time. I got to let you go. I got a million more questions, but that's okay. We'll have to do. All right, we'll no problem. Do... We'll, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Yeah, we'll do have to do a part two. But thank you, man. Great career. One of the nicest people in the pits. Uh, Eric Kehoe, now managing the uh, Valley Yamaha team with Christoph Porcel. Uh, thanks for doing the BTOSports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Uh, thanks a lot, Eric, and we will see you at the races, man. Okay. Thank you. Take care. See ya. This has been the BTOsports.com podcast show presented by Fox Racing. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. it was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Storbeck is that he never said sorry. Because Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunis. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And, and Magoo was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right, and right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone 
even harder, jump farther if that tree hadn't been, you know, if, if it hadn't been there. The Hurricane Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Holland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? Right. They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home. And once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse. I mean, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Pro Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I had pulled fifth and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny Omar. Stuff that you could, you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride it, you just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes store to enjoy these and over 500 more great motocross podcasts. The days and the months and the years come.